Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Mr. David Hudson. David, how you doing, sir? I'm just great, Ian. How about yourself? Oh, you know, fantastic. Just uh, waiting for uh, winter to be over, this New York winter that, uh, you know, sometimes gets a little dreary and gray. So we're looking forward to that spring. I don't know, but it's, I understand it's been uh, not uh, the best winter down your way either it was pretty tough for about a week or so but i mean it was 80 degrees yesterday here and not a cloud in the sky and no humidity like I, that's as they say that's chamber of commerce weather you know when it's uh when you have uh you know an ice storm and then you can't get around for three days you know we're up here laughing at you right that's fine <laughs> uh you guys would be too if you didn't have the truck i know see that's the thing it's i guess you know they gotta divert their money to to where it best makes sense and i guess you know in uh in your neck of the woods it doesn't make sense to plug a lot of money into salt trucks and uh things like that because it doesn't happen as often right we haven't we haven't had an ice storm like that in 25 26 27 years right so you know it yeah. doesn't doesn't make best sense but i i can understand where if you weren't equipped for what that brings how it would really slow you down i mean you said i remember you telling me when we were just chatting you saying you know, you couldn't get you couldn't get to work for a couple of days just because you know you're slipping and sliding and all that. Yeah, I tried to get out of my neighborhood and then it, I got stuck. I have a I have a Jeep Grand Cherokee and I got stuck in the middle of a, a very a very very busy road, completely sideways. It took three people to get me to get me out. So I was like, yeah, that's an omen. I'm just going to turn around and go back home. Yeah, and it's not like you were in a Ford Focus or something. You know, you had a no, you had an SUV with four wheel drive and all that. You know, it was it was uh it was rough, but um yeah, but it's eighty. Eight degrees here, and then it's supposed to be like down in the 40s here in a couple of days. So as we say down here, if you don't like the weather, just wait an hour. <laughs> but sometimes we get all four seasons in the span of one day. But um, I am I am a little more sympathetic to people that have to live in the ice and snow now. Yeah. But snow is fine. You can you can you can roll in the snow. It's just that ice, and it got so cold it got down to five degrees. And so it didn't get above freezing for like five or six days without any without any uh, sun poking through. So I mean, it's just no chance for it to melt. See, I'm funny. If it's if it's cold, I'm fine. It's it's when the wind gets involved that I can't. I get because uh, I'm like uh, usually warm by nature, you know. Yeah, I'm hot blooded. Check it and see, David. I mean, it's on there. <laughs> but uh, so uh, it's been like that here, though. It's been uh, very like windy and blustery, and that that's where it gets to you. You can't. Have, I mean, the, I'm like you. You can put me in five degrees, no wind. I'm not going to complain. But man, you let that wind start blowing, and then it's, and plus it's so humid down here, which makes it feel even colder. So it's just a mess. But, but uh, so I mean, this past week, Chris and Rich have uh, come out of hiding there, so to speak, and uh, done a few virtual things. That virtual town hall on the SiriusXM platform was was released and they did a thing with iHeartRadio, which was kind of a special i know they have uh, a couple other uh, interviews coming up it looks like uh one or two podcasts which i'm uh a little bitter about you know thought maybe the, maybe our luck would uh, change they'd come this way but 
Seems not. But uh, did you watch any of the things that have already uh, been released or listen to them, rather? I've gotten bits and pieces because whenever they've come on, I've been at work. So I've read some of the stuff like on the message boards and then, you know, some stuff people have sent us. I would say the frustrating thing is they've had all this time sitting around and they say they've got like 25 songs and they want to do two albums with Draculius and stuff, but they want to do the tour first. There's a decent chance the tour is not going to happen. Right. Well, I, I wish they would have spent this time in the studio and had these albums ready to go and then you could pepper in a song or two on these sets and we could, you know, because regardless of what anybody thinks, people are clamoring for new music from them. Yeah. I mean, the the Shake Your Money Maker reissue is great and, you know, the tour and everything, but people are clamoring for new music. And that's a, you know, that's that's what ultimately we, we want new music and then we want to get the next three albums released with a package like Shake Your Money Maker did. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's fully why I've, I've personally supported the the Shaky Money Maker reissue and bought I bought both versions I mean I bought the the LP and the CD, you know it, it's great and everything I mean uh, honestly, it's going to sound like a, a really weird thing to say I mean I, I would love to have those those guys on here at any time but really right now it seems like every interview they do they don't talk about anything other than, Shake Your Money Maker in that time period and you know they don't go anywhere else it's it's uh, to be 100 percent honest that's not 100 percent interesting to me you know because the interviews we do here you know are all encompassing kind of things and i like to touch on all points and you know because there's there's points of any artist's career that certain people find the most interesting so you try to hit everything because somebody likes this rather than that or you know so you try to appeal to everybody i don't know not like they're maybe, offering to come on here or anything <laughs> maybe we could get them for southern harmony that would be uh that would be nice. That that one I'd really I'd really like to pick the brain on that one. Yeah, I mean I, I would like to think that if they are in any way aware of of what we do, that they would understand that we would treat them with the same you know respect and admiration that we treat anybody else that's involved with the band, and and we're interested in, in talking about things that necessarily maybe other people wouldn't ask them, but not in a dirt digging way, just in a more in depth kind of way. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they're 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 doing the same interview over and over again. Yeah, I mean that's got that's got to be tiring. To be perfectly honest, the last two visual things I've seen, Chris Robinson doesn't look wholly uh, dialed into what's going on. He looks kind of bored or listless or whatever. But uh, you know, well, wouldn't wouldn't you be? I wouldn't want to do the same interview over and over yeah. again. I mean, because yeah. it's not even just like the same interview; it's the same exact questions. Mm-hmm. Which especially especially like. There's nothing I would want to talk about that much the same thing over and over again. And I, I agree. Like if they were if they were to come on, I mean, we would offer them the same thing we offer everybody else. I think we'd give them a really really good interview, and I think the fans would would really want to hear that. But yeah, I mean, uh, but you know, who knows? Uh, maybe down the line that'd be an option. Well, I mean, we are carrying the flag for the band. <laughs> Yeah, we we do everything we can to promote them. We you know encourage people to buy the live shows on Nugs. We encourage people to buy these reissues. We encourage people to buy everything you can from them. So I mean, we haven't done anything to. We've only helped them. I mean, I'd like to think so. But speaking of the Shake Your Money Maker reissue, have you had an opportunity to listen to it yet? Because it's 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 odd. It's it's out, but it's not fully out. I know it's on the streaming platforms and some of the. Standard versions are out, but those deluxe editions got pushed back till March. But uh, have you have you had a chance to listen to it at all? 
I've, I mean, I haven't gone and listened to the the remixed version of the album. Um, I mean, I ne- I didn't have a problem with the sound with the first one. So I mean, um, was it remixed or was it just remastered? I'm sorry, remastered. Because I I couldn't remember, and I haven't really listened to it yet. Just so yeah, it's, it's just remastered. remastered. I I don't know. I think I've told you this, but you know, I do uh, nerd stuff like this every once in a while. So I like to see what remastering job was done. So I took the two, the CD version and I I ripped it to so I could pull it up in a wave. And then I took the original CD version and pulled it up. Now, unfortunately, the CD remastering is a little uh, compressed. You know, I'm sure the vinyl will be a lot better because things well, are specially mastered it, for vinyl. It, yeah, it's when it says it's pulled directly from the um, the original analog tapes. Yeah, I, I like I said, my vinyl in here. I don't know when it's going to get here. That's fine. I'm not worried that it's. I mean, because it's it's on Spotify and I pay for Spotify, so I'm streaming. But I've gone and listened to the unreleased stuff. And the different versions of, of songs. And then I've cherry picked the live album, some of the more obscure stuff, just because I haven't had time. I will have to say this, guys. How did y'all sit on front porch sermon for so long and not incorporate that somehow either in the Crows or the CRB or Rich Robinson? That song is great. And it has a, it's, it has a great, unique feel to it. And like just how that hasn't popped up somewhere is, blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic tune. I think I might have heard that years ago on some kind of demos. I don't remember. But listening to it again, it really is, it's more in line with what they would do later, which is the odd thing. A lot of a lot of country and bluegrass instrumentation on that. That could have fit on Before the Frost. Exactly. and But also, in a way, it kind of harkens back to the Mr. Crow's Garden, where the, you saw their R.E.M. and, and that kind of influence a bit more, too. Like, it's it's like a... A real mixture of the two things. It's just that's a really cool song. That was a really pleasant surprise. It is amazing to me that the Mr. Coe's Garden stuff and the Shake Your Money Maker stuff to be so young, it would have had to have been tempting to write the easy lyric like what was going on at the time, write about women or partying or stuff like that. But you take songs like Sister Luck and Seeing Things, and then she talks to angels. That's very mature lyrical content for somebody. I mean, Rich was like what in high school when some of this stuff was written. Yeah, and that's that's impressive. And then you get to hear that earlier version of "She Talks to Angels," and I love hearing stuff like that because you hear the progression right. of the song, and you can you can listen to that version and hear the the places where eh, that doesn't sound exactly right, and where they went and cleaned it up on the official release. Well, it's it's funny. I've always you know it's it's funny to see where they add in certain things that then become the uh, the identifiers of the song. Like those two harmonic strums in between the riffs for uh, She Talks to Angels, just those two resonating strums, like those are so key to that song. And if you listen to the demo, they're, they're not on there quite the same. And it's, it's I, I, I'm in agreement with you. I like to see how things progress. That's why sometimes you see bootlegs and it's like demos or studio sessions or something. And it's like the same song eight times. You're like, well, why would you want to listen to that? If you listen to that, you can actually hear the song coming along. That's really cool to me. Yeah, and then the other, um, I love having Waiting Guilty mm-hmm. um, on something other than a little 45 Yeah, um, that I have over here, which I hate listening to 45s. Yeah. Um, the only thing I didn't that didn't really hit with me too big was, uh, I mean, you know, 30 Days in the Hole is kind of cool, but, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't. Yeah, that, I'm, I feel the same way. It's not, it didn't, it didn't come off as awesome as I thought it was going to. You know, I bet you if they had done that maybe during the, the, the uh, Southern Harmony period or around there, that would have had a little more grit to it, you know. But, uh, you know, it's a fair, fair cover. But, 
you know, I did. Uh, one of the other things I liked about it is on the uh, homecoming concert. First of all, you got "You're Wrong" and you got "Words You Throw Away," which which are really cool to hear. But Chuck Lavelle sitting in with them on that one. Yeah, and you can just really hear him tearing it up on the piano. Yeah, he's fantastic. I, I looked at uh, Crow's Base, and there was actually three three concerts at the end of December there in Atlanta. Anything I've seen, because I don't have the physical set in my hands yet, but anything, I can't find anything that gives a specific date as to which one that was. But the one listing on Crow's Base says Chuck Lavelle on keys, and it, it mentions that it was the, the night that they introduced the band to Eddie Harsh. So that's like... Not only was it a homecoming concert, but it's when Eddie came into the mix, so to speak, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm glad they did it. I, honestly, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised with how much I uh, liked it, um, because I just didn't think there was that much to pull from from that era. But that they, I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, but uh, yeah, all in all, I think it's a it's a nice package, especially on the deluxe end, you know. And I, um, but it re- is really really a good price point. Yeah, and I feel like. If it's successful and they decide to do it with the, the the you know the big three that came after it, that'd be great. And that, you know a, that kind of treatment for something like Southern Harmony would be really nice, especially at that price point. Well, I can go ahead and tell you what it should be. So, Chris and Rich, if you're listening, remaster Southern Harmony, release the High in Houston show mm. on vinyl, release the Lanois sessions, mm-hmm. and release. Uh, I'm sure there's some stuff in the can that we don't know of put that out there yeah i would i would buy the whole thing just to get exit on vinyl yeah or in any kind of official yeah i i 100 agree with you i would like to add to that mix though the piedmont park concert from the uh atlanta pod festival which was mark ford's first show which i think that's why that's um oh yeah you know a monumental thing and i i've always wanted some kind of nice release of that because it's, it's a pretty decent performance yeah yeah that is a big one Good idea, Ian. So that's why you should be the head of the record company. I don't think I could be the head of a record company because I actually have uh, artist interest uh, uh, at heart, not uh, commercial interest. So I don't think I'd fit in at uh, the big record companies. I think you'd be all right. Uh, Maybe. So, yeah, great, great release. And uh, I I encourage anybody to buy it, especially like like we've been saying, it, it, it lays the groundwork for future treatment of other albums in the same manner. So do you think we're going to have a tour? I'd like to think so. I mean, you know, I have rescheduled tickets for this coming summer, whether that comes to be or not. Um, you know, um, but uh, at, at some point, I think they're going to do this thing. But maybe if it's got to be postponed one more time, maybe they just turn it into a, you know, uh, 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 they, they change the, the format a little bit. Like the, a lot of Shake Your Money Maker, but maybe they incorporate other things or new material into it or something. I don't know. How about we just go straight into the Southern Harmony Tour? See, I have my druthers about that because I really think that that should be some of the more key players that were involved should be involved in that tour, and uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And I, w- I wish they would do it in theaters, not big sheds. I mean, I've seen them at Jones Beach a few times. That's the that's the the shed in this area that they you know usually hit, and that's where the tickets are for this thing. But they're they're they're. The nuances of their sound are more better suited to a smaller indoor venue. It's just the truth. Their their music is that layered and, and, and interesting that it, it's more suited where you could hear it better. Like when you play those sheds, things kind of go out into the atmosphere and you're losing subtleties. You know, like 
big bands like Def Leppard or something do well in those sheds because their sound is just huge. in your face, you know, and it's a huge sound. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to go see them regardless mm-hmm. of what they're doing. Sh- Shake your money maker or Southern Harmony, or whether it's in a you know a theater or a shed. I'm going to go probably probably more than one show. So, but but uh, speaking of shows, man, I got I got my first tickets to a concert. I'm so excited. Yeah, you were you were saying that uh, what was it? Blackberry Smoke in North Mississippi also <laughs> can't go wrong there. Yeah, that's a that's quite a one to uh, come out of the come out of the gate with. I'm excited, yeah. man. I am so excited. Smoke's been playing several. They played several shows already, and yeah, I was looking set list completely different every night. Yeah, and I'm not gonna fully talk out of school here, but it, uh, you know, from what we were discussing, it sounds like you have a couple of nice uh, friends there with you. Yeah, I might have a might have a guest or two. It's to, yeah. it's to be determined, as they say. Speaking of guests, um, next week we have a big one. We do. I don't want to really. Because we've been trying to keep this under wraps as much as possible, and uh, so we're not going to divulge the name just yet. And there's been some, you know, we've uh, not in a bad way, but it's been a lot of uh, a lot of work and a lot of uh, things to get to this point. So we want this episode to be really special for you. So this week we're going to do just me and David, you know, old school style, just the two of us talking about uh, the album openers for each album and uh, do a sort of ranking and discussion and that kind of thing. And then next week. It's going to be our our big big guest that we're very happy about. Yes, one that um, I don't know if we we're ever going to get. I know, but I'm glad we did, and 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 I can say this now in advance, and then uh, put put the pieces together later. But it's honestly one of the best guests we've ever had, one of the best interviews we've ever done, and something I'm uh, I'm very proud of so far. And I know that the uh, finished product will be something really nice. Yeah, because the interview's done. It's done. It's We've done. already done it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and I think we uh, we made a nice new friend out of the deal. To be honest with you, I do too. And um, you know, we don't get these kind of people if we didn't have people listening and enjoying the show. So we can't thank all of you enough for uh, promoting the show and and listening. And it's really a, a cool thing we've got going here. Yeah, I mean, some of you guys out there. Uh, you know, week in and week out, and every time an episode is put out, you you message us, you you comment on the posts, and you really put things to the forefront. And you know, there's there's uh, quite a few of you that do that, and you all know who you are, and we greatly appreciate that, and always will, and uh, we can't thank you enough for that. Yeah, and speaking of that, if you can go to Apple Podcast and leave us a rating and a review, that helps to up our profile, um, and the more people we get, the more guests we can get. You know, it's like we said early on. You know, doing those kind of things and and allows us to get you know certain guests based on numbers and things like that. And because we get asked sometimes, what are your numbers and who have you had on? Yeah. So you know, you, everything you guys have done for us thus far has gone hand in hand with anything we've done to get guests and really helped us out, and we appreciate that. And and uh, it's only going to keep going from here. So we we thank you for that. So I guess it's time we get to a uh, little chat about. Uh, our album openers. What do you say, David? I'm all for it. I bet it's going to spark some debate online. We've never been scared of a little controversy. Well, if it's any indication, our ballads episode uh, elicited quite the uh, quite the response. I'm sure this one will uh, as well. But uh, it's fun. I always love it when we do these things, and then people point out things that we didn't remember or we left out or other interesting tidbits. So I don't really take it as criticism. I just think it's people talking with us about their favorite band. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. Whenever you talk music, especially music or film or anything like that, you know, you have to keep in mind it's a very, very subjective thing. It's it's what you think is not what necessarily somebody else thinks, or and it, there is no right or wrong. So it's funny, you know, when we did the uh, the ballads episode, you know, we completely went by the fact that one of their songs actually has the word ballad in the title, and none of us picked it. You know, ballad and urgency, and you know, it's, it seems to. Uh, some people get a little perturbed at this, and some people just say, oh, have a laugh at it. But it's it's just when the subject comes up, it's what occurs to me at that time, and I try to go with my first instincts and thoughts on it because that's the most genuine stuff, you know. Oh yeah, that one and nonfiction seem to be the two that like upset people the most. Yeah, and it's just in the case of nonfiction, to be honest with you, it just doesn't occur to me as what I classify as a ballad. I'm the same way. We 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 preemptively said on that episode that uh, the term ballad is kind of has a loose definition so you know if if uh if that song is a ballad to other people that's great and as long as everybody gets talking that's the whole point right i couldn't agree more yeah they have yeah and kate was great on that episode but uh yeah we took a little bit of a beating but it's okay we're, we're grown men yeah and uh so we decided to take it back to basics on this one just me and you one on one we haven't done one of these in quite a bit so i'm i'm happy just just to be doing that buddy so so I'll let you start off with uh, with your choices first, and uh, you know see how uh, see how we go. So what's uh, what's your number number one spot? Well, I think the Crows probably more so than any other band I know. They do a great job of setting the table for the rest of the album yes. with their album openers. I think you can I think you can make a, a you can gauge how every album is going to sound to some extent based on the album openers. So. This was probably the hardest thing that I've ever done for like getting stuff together for this podcast. Like, especially like the top three, I just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So, my number one song, opening song, is Gone off of Morica. I think it's one of the most original songs in their catalog that that opening with um that 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 cool riff that rich is playing the you know the steve's drumming on it and it really sets the stage because it has that percussionist on it and it's a little bit different than southern harmony whereas like shake your money maker was just a straight up rock record southern harmony to a big extent was a straight up rock record but there was a, a few more elements that were coming in that were going to be you were going to see later on down the line, like my morning song, like sometimes salvation, things like that. But they really went in that direction with Amorca, and I always think that you know Amorca is their best sounding album. It was recorded just tremendously, 
And Gone, to me, just sets the stage for, for the rest of the song. And Chris's vocals on this are top-notch. Everybody's playing on it is top-notch. And it's just it's a really special song for me. Yeah, I would have to agree. It is an excellent opener. Amorica is, you know, for all intents and purposes, the band's most fully realized album. Uh, it really is the one that showcases the most elements of their musical personality, as far as I'm concerned. You know, because the albums that came before were more just straight-ahead rock. Three Snakes, although Three Snakes is my favorite record, it's definitely all over the map. And it's kind of more of uh, an experimentation, you know. Um, Gone is a fantastic opener. Interesting to, thing to me is live, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, more often than not, really, that whole percussive intro doesn't exist in the live version. It just kind of starts with, you know, Steve doing that uh, kick in, you know, the drum mm-hmm. drum roll and the snare, and it goes right into it, which is, it's very cool in a live setting, but, uh, you know, when you get that actual full intro to it, it does, it's a whole other aspect of the song, and it really kind of builds up to the beginning of the song itself. And I love the chorus of it, just the, the way, I don't know that the, I don't know if that's a real for what you want to call it, that Rich is playing in the background along with, with Chris's vocals. It's just a, It's just a really, really tight song. Yeah, and Mark does some really nice stuff on it, too. Yeah, you can't complain. Right. All right, my second favorite album opener is Under a Mountain off Three Snakes. I agree with you. Three Stakes is their most experimental. It's their it's their drug album. <laughs> I can't really think of a, another way to put that. Normally, most bands and the Crows open an album with just a really big rock song, which is what they do. Under a Mountain, I would not classify as a really big rock song. A little more mellow, and whereas like with Gone starts with the percussion. That's the first thing you hear. The first thing you hear this is Eddie Harsh sweeping that that organ. And um, it's got a really, really good groove to it. And I didn't realize until I, actually it was the Magpie when the Magpie played it, just what a huge bass groove that song has. I mean, it sets the tone for the, for to me for Three Snakes. It's just the lyrics to it I love. I lay down with number thirteen, you know, perfume and Valium, and it's a really heavy song for them. And like a lot of songs on Three Snakes, it's really heavy. I went back and forth between it and Gone, but ultimately I went with Gone. But if you, if this was somebody's favorite opening song, I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah, I mean, I've always enjoyed it as an opener, just as a song in general. I mean, that that Ed Harsh little part at the beginning, you know, it's key to the song. And that, that the Black Crows in general, but you know, particularly with that that little thing that Ed does, they always have elements in their music that are so minor on the surface but are so essential to the song it's that's that's what really you know when i started digging deep into the black crows what really attracted me to their music is like you don't realize until you hear the song maybe live without it once or something like wow that really that part really means a lot to that song it's so it's so simple and yet so 
wonderful at the same time. It's 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 really cool. Uh, you know, you talk about you, know, you you quite often refer to Three Snakes as a drug album, and a lot of people refer to it as a drug album. Uh, and if that being the case, this is a, a a drug song in terms of the the vibe of the song. Like you feel that, and in a, in a lot of songs, which is why why I like Three Snakes so much. You feel that atmosphere on that album more so than any of their other albums, I think. You know, what they're trying to convey and the state of mind that they were in comes across tenfold on that album. This is the album I would have most wanted to be in the studio with them on when they were recording this. I I, I just think it's kind of a fascinating period, and I think it was their most creative period. I never have thought Under a Mountain gets enough love live. Like I, I feel like it's not played as much as it probably should be. No, I think I think if you're not using it as a set opener, it's harder to find a place for it in the set because it's it doesn't you know maybe coming out of a, a quieter period or something like that easing back into something, but it is it is hard to place if it's not placed as an opener. So yeah. All right, number three is Sting Me off Southern Harmony. <laughs> couldn't pick a better way to open that album up and we get to especially that second solo you get to introduce mr mark ford to the band um i've always thought that that opening riff was very unique and after watching marcus king try to play it i realized like it's not something that's easy to play and i really don't think anybody can play that opening riff other than rich and it sound right I, i just don't think anybody else can i've never seen it man a fun song just so so much energy I always love it in that second spot. I think it's the I think it's the best. That's the best spot for it. Even the the the, the slow version I think is really good. Uh, it's sometimes that's a good change of pace to hear that one. But got the use of the background singers, backup singers. That's another thing about Sting Me. You get to hear Mark Ford first, and then for really the biggest use at that point that we'd heard of having female backup singers was on this song, and they play lyrically as big of a part as Chris does singing, you know, and I always thought that whoever they had in the band really nailed it, but Charity and Mona just really nailed this one live. And this is, this is one that Steve, Steve always looks like he's having a good time, but he always really looks like he's having a good time playing this one. I can, I can't help but think it's so much fun to play live. It seems like, and they do bring it out quite a bit. You're right about the uh, the the use uh, the importance of the use of the background singers on this because it's I've always referred to it and I don't know if it's the right term but like a call and response that Chris is doing so you know he'll sing his lyric and then the singers are kind of responding to it but they're singing the actual lines of the of the lyrics it's not just mm-hmm. mirroring something he just sang you know but uh, yeah I I always saw it in the second slot as 
like their their set list to me for a while, particularly around like oh five oh six, became they would open the show with some some real gem or some some unusual thing, and then Sting Me would be in the second slot, and Sting Me was almost like the actual opener. You know what I mean? They'd come out and do this this cool thing, and then Sting Me kicks it into the regular set list. That's how I always saw it, and I, I think it's I think it's great. I mean, you're definitely right about. It's one of those Rich Robinson riffs that's uniquely his. There's a lot of songs in the classic rock genre that, you know, people can approximate, but really the only, the original writer and player of that song can get it exactly right. And Sting Me is one of those riffs. There's just something about that. There's something in that that's uniquely Rich Robinson, and only he knows all the right moves to play it properly. And is it in a different tuning? It's open G, if I'm not mistaken. Because I feel like with As the Crow Flies, Marcus may have not have been in the same tuning. I know that Marcus King primarily plays in standard, and and you can. I remember when I was playing guitar, and I was I was fascinated by open tunings because of Rich Robinson. So I would try to learn as many as I could. And you know, my father would see me struggling to learn something, and he goes, "Well, you can just play it in standard, you know, and 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 kind of it'll sound, you know, nearly right." And I was always obsessed with actually playing it in the tuning that it was in. Because it never sounded exactly right to me. Yeah, all that's way, you know, I can just strum a few chords. All that's way above me. (laughs) I'm just a a lowly amateur. So my fourth favorite uh, is Twice as Hard off of, uh, obviously, Shake Your Money Maker. hadn't heard the crows on the radio and you put this in the first time this is the first song you hear of the black crows one of their most identifiable openings i'm told by other guitar players it's extremely simple to play um so i need to maybe try to learn that it may take me six months to learn how to play that one as bad as i am but uh this is my favorite kind of fun rock song that they do i love the solo on it rich does the solo a lot of times doesn't he yeah yeah and i i love kind of like his solos aren't really flashy. He just kind of adds an extra layer, mm-hmm. usually to, to the music, and it always fits the song. You know, it, uh, that's the big thing. But uh, just one where Chris can just really belt it out. My favorite thing about the song is live. How they always end it. They extend that that outro a little bit, and just the way they end it all at one time to me just sounds so cool. I know if you're a musician out there, you're probably going, "That's really not that hard." But to me, it just it blows my mind every time. A song that honestly can open a show and close a show, and uh, it has it has done both of those. And I know people kind of get tired of it because it's really overplayed. But this is always going to be a special song to me. Oh, it's a great tune, man. I remember seeing them, and this was on the Thirteen tour. So you know, this is late, much later in the in their run. Uh, it was a Terminal Five in New York City, and they had been alternating like you know two or three openers. And I remember just before they came out, I turned to my wife and I said, it's probably going to be twice as hard tonight. And 
they kicked into twice as hard, and that's when I—that's the first time I've ever had it as an opener. And I realized how powerful of an opener that is, even in a live setting. It's just such a such a great riff. The whole song—I mean, I love that extended little bit, like you mentioned at the end. I think that really adds a lot to the song. But you know, it's, it's hard to argue with the power of that song. And you know, just because it's simple doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing. I mean, think of how many great riffs. I mean, you know, great ACDC riffs or something like that. They're very simplistic, but it's in a rock setting that it, it's powerful and it, and it achieves. Well, I mean, the the first song I learned how to play on guitar was Free Falling. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any easier. I mean, it literally doesn't. I don't know if it can get any easier than that. Same three chords, same pattern the whole time. Yeah, that's not even mm-hmm. a riff. It's just chords. But yeah. it's so instantly recognizable. And it's funny to me because I think the majority of the people around Tom Petty at the time didn't think that song was much of anything, didn't really want to record it for the record. And look, you know, they were wrong. <laughs> look at what a massive hit that was. Massive hit, man. I tell you what, he was, he could put out some songs. All right. Now's where we're going to get dicey and people are going to get the knives out I think, <laughs> and get upset. Number five for me is midnight from the inside out. <laughs> secret that you and I are, are more of a fan of lions than a lot of other people. Uh, it's no secret that we both think you take three or four songs out, swap them out with some of those B-sides and you have a completely different album. You got to wonder if, if a lot of the riffs and stuff on this aren't from them playing with Jimmy Page so much. And I've, I, I meant, I meant for us to ask Steve when we had him on and I completely forgot that false start. Is that really a false start they decided to keep or was that intentional? Because that's one of the most, original openings you can ever have of a song i remember when i when i heard it, i'm like wait a second what did they put a mistake on there you know and then i love how rich just comes right back into it man it's a great bass groove on this song this is a rich robinson song for sure i mean the the riffing during the 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 verses is just awesome i love that line a needle in a spoon cotton candy you know chris does a great job and this one Almost every time it's played is an opener, whether it's for Magpie or for the Crows. Do you remember that HBO Reverb special where they did a Crows concert? Yes. And, you know, they opened with this, and Chris came out with, like, the pigtails, you Uh know, and he had, like, a sunflower hanging down from his – it's like a sunflower necklace, and he had – when he had the rainbow, you know, microphone, and Audley was on that one. That's one of my favorite – I I just – for whatever reason, I thought that was really well done. 
But I love Midnight from the inside. I know a lot of people crap on that album, but I think if you're being objective, this is a really good song. It is, and it's funny you mentioned that um, reverb special because I, that's watching that is when I learned how much of a powerhouse Steve Gorman is because there's a breakdown section in, in the middle of that song where Steve is doing this crazy stuff on the drums, but to see him do it live is, is unbelievable. It really speaks to the power of his drumming and and I, I i you're right it's an absolutely great it's a great opener for the album it's a great live opener that was a period of time though where um rich really started his riffs were very very heavy and um you know i think that's what you know divided the the crows i should say divided the robinson brothers at that time because then you know that was they eventually would go on the hiatus and then chris came back around with uh, new earth mud which is decidedly more subdued you know and and rich went to hookah brown and then his own thing but that's when he was using the 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 rotating leslie speaker on the as the guitar effect as you get that like swirling kind of sound and very distorted but uh you know he really came up with some great riffs during that period and, and this this is one of them you can definitely tell the influence of jimmy page on not only his guitar playing but steve gorman's drumming there's a reason why Jimmy Page, you know, was enamored of Steve's drumming, and and he really earned those accolades from Jimmy Page, and it would continue. I think his drumming, as much as I loved it prior, increased tenfold after they did the thing with Jimmy Page. Sometimes you watch him play. I don't know how the drum heads hold up. Yeah, because well, he he. I think he even said, uh, you know, he had to hit very hard to be to get through Rich's volume, you know. Well, even on the Highs the Moon tour, you watch some of those videos, and I mean, he's just destroying drums. But all right, now here we go. Things are getting interesting. Number six Goodbye, Daughters of the Revolution. First song I heard off War Paint. Obviously, it's the opening song. I remember when they did that show. I think in like Sayreville, New Jersey, or something. Before, right before the album came out, and they played the whole thing. And the way that Luther was turned up on it, that's one of my favorite Luther songs because he basically kind of solos almost through the whole thing. Just a, a really, just a really good song. It's my favorite song by far on that. Well, it moving on down the line are my favorite songs on that album. Set the tone that Luther was going to be pretty prominent in it. Uh, always thought Luther did a good job on this one. Uh, these are classic Chris Robinson lyrics, especially for what he would go on to write with uh, Before the Frost and, and, and the CRB. And do you remember that show, like when it was like streamed a day or two before the album came out? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I'm an, another good song. I always liked this song, and I've I liked War Paint from you know the get-go for the most part the only thing that was confusing to me on on war paint 
and I still maintain this to this day, is that Rich's guitars are very subdued on that album. It's kind of a, especially hearing some of the, the 05, 06 sessions that were recorded that were never released. It's, it's a very big change from that. I don't know if that was a conscious thing or if that was more of Chris's influence on it. I'm not quite sure. But, you know, that, you know, the stuff you'd hear on like Walk Believer Walk, like that heavier, rich stuff, it's kind of toned down a lot on that album. And that's kind of what prevented that song from being, you know, the, the quote unquote big classic opener is because I felt it was a little more subdued than it it should have been. You think that was on purpose? I don't know. It, it seems... For what Rich was doing at that time solo, it's very different what's on Warpaint versus what he had been doing up to that point, you know, in his own, on his own material. So I don't know if that was a, uh, you know, a, um, a compromise that he made or, or something. Well, do you like think that. it was more to, like, kind of show off Luther a little bit? It could be that too, and it, the album does have a very Americana kind of vibe to it. So, well, and you you hear stories about that Rich and Mark really weren't that close mm-hmm. the first go around with the Crows, and you know Mark has said like he told Rich like you need to do more solos. You're a good you know good solo, but I, I just wonder if that was like letting Luther kind of showcase his. Plus, a lot of the songs on there really played to Luther's strengths mm-hmm. versus versus Rich's strengths, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the material on Warpaint was written after Luther coming into the fold. You know, a lot of the stuff they had done before he came into the fold was kind of put on the back burner in order to have his style mesh well with their their sound a little bit more. All right. My next to last one is Good Morning, Captain. song probably one of their more kind of carefree openers that that they have interesting uh we had jared delaney on last week and i believe he said this was the take from when when he saw them played it on the david letterman show which was really cool i always got pumped up whenever they were on letterman i think it especially the actual before the frost album it has a whole lot more in common with it than the until the freeze portion because it's a little more stripped down but uh, Luther gets uh, gets some good playing in on this one. Uh, just some kind of cheeky lyrics at times, I think. Just kind of a fun song. But I, I could do with kind of without that ragtime piano opening of Adams. See, that's funny you say that because I find that that kind of like you hear you hear that rich riff right out of the gate, and then it it fades out into that piano. I think it kind of works there. It's one of the things I kind of most liked that Adam did in his contributions to the music uh, during his time with the band. Great song though. I mean, the, the many times I heard it in concert on that tour, and I always thought it was great. I thought it was definitely one of their stronger later day tracks. All right, the last song, obviously, if you're doing math, is "Go Faster" off "By Your Side." Go up, two, so one time, two time, three time, four time. All right, baby. Mm-hmm. 
just, um, I don't know. I, I think it would have been better if they released it as South Brown Eyes. I, I'll, I'll absolutely love that. It's one of my, that's one of the gems. I mean, it's a fun rock song, and there's some good playing, good slide playing by Rich on it. Just the lyrics get to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much everyone's big complaint with uh, that track and in particular, and you know, a lot of stuff on on By Your Side that they feel that lyrically didn't didn't fit as well. I like the song musically. As an opener, I think it's uh, it's very it does get you the musically does get you amped up, and especially that little spoken word thing that that chris does you know and i think it works as an opener but it's it's the lyrics that they changed it to that kind of fall flat a bit it definitely signaled what the album was going to be like though for sure absolutely was it a single i can't remember i don't know if go faster was a single i know the first single from the album was kicking my heart around which also is of a similar vibe they kind of sound the same yeah they do there was a kicking my heart around could have easily been the opener on that and that's a song that kind of went by the wayside after that tour, really. They didn't bring that one out too much, mostly because I think it's very taxing on, on Chris's voice. I feel like it was um, Only a Fool, By Your Side, Horsehead, and Virtue and Vice for the only ones that really stayed around. Sometimes Go Tell the Congregation. It got worked up every now and then. Sometimes, yeah. Not Go Tell the Congregation. I'm sorry. Welcome to the Good Times. Yes. Yeah, it's funny. When you said go to the congregation, my head registered as welcome to the good times. That's why I didn't say anything. <laughs> well, that's that's scary if you're inside my head. Uh, mm, I don't know, <laughs> you know. But uh, I, I definitely a good uh, order you picked there. My order, slightly different. Probably surprising, given my affection for Three Snakes and One Charm. I'm sure most people, and probably even yourself, would expect me to pick Under a Mountain as the, as the top. But no, my order kind of goes, sting me. Gone, twice as hard, under a mountain, midnight from the inside out, good morning, Captain, go faster, and then goodbye, Daughters of the Revolution. Midnight from the inside out is the only one we had in common, common spot. Yeah, that's the common spot there. Everything else kind of broke up. And I put go faster ahead of goodbye, Daughters of the Revolution because of that subdued quality. It kind of took it away from being like a real powerful opener to me. I thought it was more powerful live than it is on the record. You know, I mean... You know, we and, and and in doing this, we didn't include the uh, the tall sessions or the band sessions album. But I think you know, honorable mention should go to now on the original bootleg version of the band sessions. Never forget this song was the was the opener on that bootleg, and I thought that actually worked as the opening track. I was surprised when they officially released it that they changed the order up. Was the opening track on that was a uh, Pain and Eight, wasn't it? Yes. So yeah, I think that's right. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, so we left those we left those out, and we'll attack the Lost Crows and Tall Sessions at, at some point in the future. Do you think we're going to get any hate mail? You might. I think mine's pretty good. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean my particular <laughs> order might be the. Uh, I do encourage people though. You know, after listening to this, you know, I, I, people are inclined to do this anyway. But you know, share with us via social media, Facebook, Twitter, wherever wherever you're most comfortable. Uh, your particular picks and and let us know let us know what you think the right order is uh you know yeah and and, fo- and follow us on twitter we jared delaney was a guest last week because of of some stuff on twitter and on apple podcast we are up to like i think 156 reviews which is actually really good please go leave us a five-star rating and then write us a review that would be great if you want to screenshot that and send it to us somewhere we will might try to get you a little something in the mail for that but i'm excited about where the podcast is going we got some big things lined up i think people are going to like 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, uh, you know, as we continue to say, it only keeps going up from here. And I'm very excited what we have on the horizon. Always a pleasure doing this with you, my friend. As always, I'm going to pick the playout song. Is that all right? That's perfectly fine. From live with Jules Holland, it's the Stereophonics with the Black Crows playing twice as hard. It's one of my one of my favorite videos I go to and watch because I think his name's Kelly from the Stereophonics. Nails it. Nails it. Have you seen it? Absolutely. It's That's definitely a a, a smoking version. And, and Jules Holland, of course, is, uh, seems like he's enjoying himself quite a bit on that. All right, so let's throw it over to the Later with Jules Holland version of Twice as Hard. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Stay tuned. <laughs> Come